you're listening to the Kathy Did a Podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf-Terry, and... Luke Romsdorf-Terry, where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery series and discuss it. And on today's episode, we're talking about the 21st book in the series, The Cat Who Saw Stars. 21st. 21st. So the books are old enough to, to drink. And the books have been old enough to drink for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest, they've been old enough to drink since book three. Um, <laughs> And we have a returning guest on the show. Yes, our dear friend Meg Ralph. Yay! Yay, Meg. Welcome Thanks for back. having me back. Yay. You're welcome. Delighted. I felt this was an especially appropriate book for you. <laughs> Meg, it should be noted, is also an accomplished medium. Yes. Um, and how else would you describe yourself? Um, all around intuitive. Um, all around intuitive. I, I like that. Yeah, I do do medium work as well. Um, energy work, you know, space clearing and cleansing. Uh, I read cards. I also do a lot of channeling and, and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. And I, can, uh, I will, first... as a side note, I will say any meowing you hear is probably my cat who thinks it's dinner time. Well, like a true cat should. Absolutely. And I will also say that uh, <laughs> I can personally attest to Meg's abilities, uh, and so can the uh, so can uh, plenty of others as well. So mm-hmm. very curious to see her thoughts on this book. Yes, absolutely. In <laughs> a book that that talks about tarot cards and runes and uh, and and out and and, uh, and outer space visitors, I felt yes. that this was especially appropriate <laughs> to have you join us on. Yay! Well, thank you. I'm glad you thought of me. Absolutely. All right. This was fun. Now, when was this published? 1999. Is this again another one where it's the paperback and hardback in the same year? Paperback and hardback in the same year. All right. So I think we're ready to get started. It is summer in Moose County and the gossip chain is in full swing. So (laughs) a hiker has disappeared after asking a fisherman in Fishport, yes, really, to uh, camp on their beach for a few days. In Moose County uh, style, he was given permission, a jug of water, and a bag of homemade ginger snaps before he went to go set up his camp. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan- that's, way to go. How, um, that's still very kind. It is. Yeah. A few days later, um, the jug and the hiker's backpack were found, but there's no sign of the hiker or the ginger snaps. Now, that's the most tragic. Uh, exactly. Um, <laughs> so Quill personally is annoyed about this because he had recently interviewed the hiker's hosts um, and there are some joke, some unfunny jokes going around about don't eat any ginger snaps because um, the uh, claiming that that was the problem. Nah, um, that'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Quill had recently <laughs> interviewed um, this woman and her husband uh, who are commercial fishermen and the wife stays home and she does uh, she sells home bakes to people who wander by, mm-hmm. which is lovely. So he's, he's not only, um, you know, in now invested in the uh, commercial ind- fishing industries of, of Fishport, um, but he's also invested in uh, Mrs. Hawley's home bakes because he's tasted the ginger snaps. Um, <laughs> it's a good way to use his money, man. Absolutely. No, getting some more creative ways besides just, you know, whatever other eccentric billionaires do. I don't yeah. know. I mean, not every eccentric billionaire is going to go off and start and, and have a newspaper column that's going to be syndicated in, in, you know, six, in six counties. So mm-hmm. good S- some decide to be Batman and some are horrible people like Jeff Bezos. Exactly. So, I was going to be the Batman of pastries. I was. There you go. <laughs> all right. So after, all, for of, me. after <laughs> all of this, Letting nosiness be his guide, Quill packs up the cats and heads once more for the cabin on the lake shore to get closer to this possible mystery. Um, once again, we're back to the cabin in Mooseville. We've been here a couple of times. Things don't tend to end well when we're in Mooseville. I'm sorry to say. So this is supposed to be a vacation for Quill, 
Uh, but there's a new restaurant. They're opening mm. a summer theater. So really, he's still working for the paper, um, just from a different location. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. a whole big drama here about why uh, about Junior being concerned that Quill needs to fax his copy to the newspaper when, quite frankly, it's 15 miles away. He could just drive. <laughs> More importantly, Arch Riker, who manages the paper, lives less than a mile away from his cabin. Why can't he just walk it over to Arch and have Arch drive it back to the paper when he comes every day? <laughs> I thought what? that that was a very interesting, like, like this is an interesting thing that we're spending time on in this story. Yeah. Yeah, there are, there are several things in this story <laughs> that I really have to question. Why are we talking about this? Yeah. Why is this important? She needed yeah. to pad a few pages out. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, yeah. Um. <laughs> You know, there are a lot of things I like in this book, but I'm going to admit this is this is definitely a filler story to end all filler stories. Oh, we probably should also say, if you don't know by now, a uh, spoiler alert. Yeah, you have to we're going to be spoiling this book that was <laughs> in 1999. Yeah, that's yeah, 22, 22 exactly. freaking years ago. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. frightening. So <laughs> it's old enough to drink if you if you go for publishing dates. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so before Quill leaves the barn in Pickaxe City, uh, he makes the rounds. He picks up some books from Ed Smith, uh, inclu- including Far From the Madding Crowd, which I kept typing as Maddening Crowd, which was what I thought the title was. It's Madding Crowd. I had no idea. Madding Crowd? Madding. I, I will explain that later. All right. Um, he chats briefly with Fran Brody, who's recently returned from Chicago after a buying trip, because she's also decorated his new guest house, which has finally been built at the cabin. Oh, good. Uh, which has been nicknamed the Snuggery. Um, which and so much. We know the yeah. cats are going to be taking a lot of time there. No, they're not. No, no, no. The snuggery is not for the cats. The snuggery is for guests. Um, oh, yes. Just comfortable enough for somebody to stay a night or two, and not comfortable enough to stay longer. <laughs> um, anyway, um, but Fran is also the director of the summer theater uh, to be performed in a barn near Mooseville. We, ha- my dad has a barn, literally. Exactly. <laughs> now, the show that they chose is Visitor to a Small Planet. Oh. which is based off of the Jerry Lewis movie. It's like that, that was your choice for summer. Theater? Yeah. Yeah. Of all the, yeah, no, not a Neil Simon show. Not a, oh, no, not yeah. Shakespeare. Yeah. It's we, we are doubling down on the aliens theme. The yeah. other thing that <laughs> I noticed, you know, they talk about wanting a, a good comedy for, uh, for, for the tourists. I didn't find this to be a comedy when I read it. Yeah. It was funny, but at the end, you know, the guy says, uh, you know, you humans can't be improved and he leaves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is not the message you want to, that's not the button you want to end on. No, yeah. no, no. So I, you know, I, I mean, yes, it's cute that you cast actors under five foot six so that when <laughs> six foot eight Derek Cuddlebrink shows up, it's something impressive. Although I, 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 I would have been cast. I'm five, four. So yeah, I'm five foot two. Um, yeah. Now, however, they mentioned that Ernie Kempel is in this, and Ernie Kempel's a character that we've seen in several shows before. Mm-hmm. I doubt Ernie is under five foot six. Probably so, not, no. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, they must have made some ex- exceptions for certain actors. Must anyway. Have, that must have been a fun casting process, <laughs> doing, a, doing a literal lineup to match Stand height. next to him. Okay, now stand next to her. Okay, yep. now you leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh boy. All right. So the other reason that obviously Quill is going to his cabin in Mooseville is once again, Polly has left for a couple of weeks in the summer. Um, she has gone to visit her sister Mona, which is, by the way, short for Desdemona, because all of Polly and her Polly and her siblings are all named after Shakespeare characters because her father was a Shakespeare scholar. 
Desdemona got the better deal because she can at least shorten that to Mona. Apparently, Polly's sister Ophelia is still recovering from high school taunts. Oh, God. Um, but what are she and her sister doing? They have gone to see the Shakespeare Festival in Ontario, Canada. <laughs> I have to say how much I, I wasn't sure about that because I feel like if I had been named after a Shakespeare character and either I or members of my family had been teased mercilessly about that. I don't know that a place I would go on vacation would be like, yes, let's go soak in Shakespeare. Like, <laughs> but remember Polly's a librarian. So yeah, I, I, all right. All right. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. You know? I don't quite know what Mona does. I don't think it was ever clarified, but it, it's yeah, pretty clear that they both that. kind of work in that academic um library field mm -hmm. so i can see yeah. why they would go see the shakespeare festival but they might not invite ophelia for that particular trip. right <laughs> desdemona doesn't work in in shipping <laughs> <laughs> anyway so quill drives out to mooseville and after a reminiscence filled drive we arrive once more at the clean and showing cabin on the lake i'll explain um, that later to some who don't get that anyway okay. moving on <laughs> um so there is apparently a new cleaning service in mooseville known as the sand giants gnomes which are a which are far more above board than the infamous glinko service from a few summers before that was the cat who went underground for people who are following along um and Quill had called them to have them clean through the cabin and make sure that they've left the cabin and the snuggery, sp snuggery sparkling, and they have. Um, Quill's current uh, literary obsession is with uh, a writer named Christopher Smart and his cat, Jeffrey. So we get a lot of quotations throughout. <laughs> Actually, uh, I do have to say, Christopher Smart's writings on cats and on uh, his experience with Jeffrey particularly are a lot of fun. So mm -hmm. if you do get a chance to go look those up, do they're fun it's real uh, yeah oh oh yeah christopher smart is real jeffrey is real it's a whole thing um and <laughs> it's a, and it's it's very charming it's, it's very charming writing um he does several things that are more serious but that particular but his writings on cats are are actually quite famous well all right then oh uh, okay where was i <laughs> very, very smart of christopher indeed Ha ha. Um, so once the cats are settled, Quill dresses and walks to the Riker's cottage for dinner because food begets talk of food. We hear about the new restaurant featuring a husband and wife team. Um, I noted in my notes that it's from California, except for the fact that they're from Florida. So go figure my typing. Um, ah. They may have originally been from California, but they came by way of Florida. It's a very long way to get to Moose County. Exactly. Um, and everyone's <laughs> excited because the wife has formal culinary training. Oh my. Um, one would hope. Um, yeah. Now to be fair, this is Mooseville, so we're not known for our great restaurants. That's and, what I was gonna say. You know, Moose <laughs> County in general, not known for not known for great restaurants. Right. Um, but this is also exciting because Moose County Community College, the new community college, is about to launch a culinary program. They call it a chef training course, but you know, times have changed. Mm. Um <laughs> Once again, Mildred is on the warpath about the 4th of July parade, but this year she got herself on the planning committee um, and she has gotten her way with patriotic and historic themes mixed with stunts. Most particularly her husband, Arch, knitting a sock. And her request is that Quill rides his recumbent bike to finish out the parade. Um, in the previous book, Meg, um, Quill was gifted a recumbent bicycle where you pedal with your feet up. up. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, he was gifted that as, uh, as a, um, he, he was given that as a gift after his willingness to join in on any endeavor as long as it helps the community, including huh. judging a uh, cat contest. Okay. So it's very sweet. 
And once Mildred has fed you, apparently you can't say no. Um, and Arch, by the sound of it, is probably actually happier knitting than he really lets on. <laughs> so we're settling into Mooseville the next day. Quill heads into the town and we hear about the sand dune for the first time. Now, we've had several adventures in Mooseville before, but this is the first time that we've heard about the sand dune. And from all of these discussions, you'd think that that would be a big part of Mooseville. Yeah, it, that that kind of surprises me, having not read all of the other books, yeah. that this is the first that yeah, they so talk we, about it. Oh. Yeah, we've not mentioned anything about it. This is our first instance of it. Really. Yeah, I mean, the closest we've gotten is the fact that the place where Arch and Mildred live is called Top of the Dunes Club. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. But they say dunes, not dune. Right. It's, it's, it's multiples, and you, you get the feeling that there are sand dunes by the lake, not a single giant dune, which is what we're getting here. The spice must flow. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, so yes. Mooseville has slowly been getting a little bit more upscale. Um, yes, I'm going to run through all of the dune references because I hate that book and it needs to die. Anyway, um, so Mooseville has been slowly getting more upscale. There's a lot of talk of drawing the rich people from breakfast slash Grand Island to the Mooseville, um, which is why. And so we see a lot more variety in the restaurants, groceries, services than we have before. We get our first look at Liz Hart's new store, which is called Elizabeth's Magic, where Quill buys a hammered metal sailboat because he wants to see Arch's face when he tells him he bought a yacht. Yeah. <laughs> Rich people things, am I, I right? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> but you got to love the fact that he'd rather buy a piece of art of a sailboat right. than buy an actual sailboat. And you so gotta love that reason than to torment a friend, I think is oh, a yeah. genius oh. investment. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently it's a beautiful piece of art. So, you know, now his nosy nature after this sends him out to Fishport to chat with uh, Doris Holly about her missing hiker because she and her husband Magnus were the last to see him alive. Magnus? Yes. Okay. Magnus rushes in. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, we also learned that uh, during this conversation, we learned that the metal sculptor of Quill's new boat is another fisherman whose name is Mike Sander, and uh, that Mrs. Holly's mother-in-law has made Quill a sampler, which he is less than enthused about receiving. A sampler. A sampler, a, a, a stitch sampler, oh. which features a, a, a saying or, um, yeah, you know, like a, a lot of times when you have samplers, it's people uh, stitching the alphabet for practice. Yes, this Sam yeah. Sampler. Okay. I heard sampler. Yes, it I, is a sampler. Like an appetizer sampler. No, <laughs> no, a stitching sampler, as in okay. your, as, as in it's a sample of your stitches. Okay, so it's a sample. I, I heard stampler at one point, so like I'm getting confused, but now oh, I'm on board. Uh, also, I wish it were appetizers, little look, onion rings, little Southwest egg rolls, <laughs> awesome blossom, awesome blossom in there. Yeah, you know. And okay, well, his name was Mike. What? Mike is Ander. Okay, I was going to say there you go. Uh, uh, yeah okay that makes a little more sense i was also going to say by moose county standards that's a fairly normal name it really is mm -hmm. I, I i actually had to double check because i thought i actually knew a mike sander at one point <laughs> um so back at the cabin to come back to the story dragging yes. everybody kicking and screaming um coco <laughs> wants to go for a walk and quill indulges him of course um, they're walking up the beach and as they near a place called seagull point quill, uh, coco starts <laughs> digging and then Quill has to take him back to the cabin to call 911 because the missing hiker has been found. Are they alive? <laughs> no. Oh, of course not. Um, Why did I even ask? I was going to say, they, they found them in the sandbar. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. 
after that, uh, it's it's honestly a little anticlimactic to have the Fourth of July parade, um, even with arch knitting and quill pedaling on a recumbent bike. Oh, but no. this is like an entire chapter's worth of intersection <laughs> between finding a dead body, right? And right. then it's like instead of finding out what happens to the dead body, we get a parade. Yeah, like we don't yeah. care about the parade. Yeah, I wonder what happened. Um, so we do return to the action when uh, Chief Brody stops by the cabin with more news about the hiker's body recovery. Um, aside from commenting on a mysterious burned circle on Quill's Beach, which was attributed to a bonfire from some hikers, uh, he confirms the hiker's identity. It was the person that the Hollies saw last. We never, I, we get his name in passing. It's never really important. Hmm. Um, but Brody says something interesting. He tells Quill that the coroner cannot determine the cause of death. So the body is being sent to the state medical lab. Quill decides to try and visit the Hollies again to see if they can tell him anything else because his mustache is twitching and there is a mystery to solve. <laughs> twitch, 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 twitch. Anyway, um, unfortunately, the Hollies aren't talking at the moment. So Quill heads back to Mooseville where he runs into Sharon Hanstable. Um, uh, this is Sharon. Mildred's uh, daughter and immediately wonders, oh God, why she's not at home, quote unquote, homeschooling her brats around the kitchen table. Oh, uh. On this International like, Women's Day. I know, I know. <laughs> I just, I want to reach through the pages and slap him. Yeah. Like, do you not realize how much your entire life is supported by these women? Shut up. Yeah. Um, so he may, it, he may think it's playful banter, but he, he really a, does just need to be slapped for that. He eats yeah. at Burger King, probably. Um, Sharon, <laughs> at this point, is working part-time at the Great Dunes Motel while Roger works weekends at the Moose County something. Um, Quill, by the way, asks if she's been to the new restaurant. Sharon confirms what most locals are saying throughout this point, um, that Owen's Place, so named by Derek Cuddlebrink because it it sounded classier than whatever the owner actually wanted to name it. Um, (laughs) Owen's Place is too expensive for the local crowd. Owen Bowen, the owner, yes, that's really his name. Um, there's a lot of yes reallys in this book. Um, and these are yes reallys added by you. Yes. It's, oh, not, yes. really? it's not Lillian Jackson Braun being cute going, yes, really, yeah. in the text. Wink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. So anyway, Owen Bowen is noted as a cantankerous pill who goes to the Chamber of Commerce meeting to tell them that they should change the name from the Sand Dune to Great Cliff because it's classier. Um, we then get a brief Cliff. lesson. Great Cliff, sure. Um, we then get a brief lesson in the difference between a dune and a cliff. One is made of sand, one is rock. Oh, after which apparently Owen huffs out of the meeting um, and despite his contempt for the location, the, his restaurant is drawing the grand slash breakfast island crowd who rave about the steward potatoes, the chef, the quiche, and the darling major D, which is, of course, our friend Derek Cuddlebrink. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> we, we have moved up in the world from Chet's Bar and Barbecue to Owen's Place. To Owen's Place. Yes. It does sound there. classy. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely does. Now, the chef, it should be mentioned, is not Owen, um, but his wife, Ernestine, who goes by Ernie which is kind of cute. Um, <laughs> according to Derek, she's kind, she's talented, and notedly much younger than her husband, who apparently spends his days fishing, but doesn't bring back any fish. Catfishing, yeah. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Not in this day and age. They didn't have self-service out of the lake. Um, the situation is, in fact, fishy indeed, fishy. because what are these two doing in Mooseville? <laughs> yes, really. Wink. after all of this uh all of this exposition quill heads home to read to the cats before heading to dinner at owen's place and opening night 
at the Friars Club. It should, this is what they've named the Summer Theater. Um, okay. This should be mentioned. It's spelled F-R-Y-E-R, not F-R-I-A-R. <laughs> um, oh my God. <laughs> there, I have to say that Quill's choice of reading before his before heading out is frankly depressing because it's the famous-ish scene from Far From the Matting Crowd where a young sheepdog chases a flock off a cliff, financially ruining the farmer and getting shot for his inexperience. Fun! <laughs> so good so good fun for the whole family yeah this is a very strange book um bring timmy and Susie. jeez um it's apparently a very well-respected movie i i have never seen it i have not read the book um kind of don't want to now strangely enough i have heard of the scene before i before i had read this book but um Mm. but this is about as far as close as i want to get to this book i understand Um, why yeah sometimes sometimes quill's reading material actually makes me want to go read things further this is not one Mm. of them Mm -hmm. um so the cats apparently, though, like the shepherd's call, which is Ovi, Ovi. And yeah, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Calling Garfield's dog. Yes, that's O-T, yep. O-D. O-T. <laughs> not O-D. Yes, not O-D-I. Anyway. Yes, Ovi, Ovi. Um, anyway, so Quill then leaves the cats, goes to dinner at Owen's place, which is kind of mixed. The food is terrific. Quill even eats cauliflower soup, which considering he hates vegetables is not a, is, is no small feat. Um, but Owen as the host is, well, a cold fish. Um, Quill then recommends that the Rikers go for lunch when Derek is on duty, which he'll do the next day with Junior before driving once again to Fishport to meet Mrs. Holly's mother-in-law at Safe Harbor, which is the fishing community's retirement home. Oh. He'll also, at that point, receive his sampler at Coco's insistence. Um, this is a funny scene with Coco. He's trying to put this off and trying to put this off, and Coco's like, nope, nope, you're going tomorrow. Going tomorrow. <laughs> Gotta happen. Yeah. Yes, the play goes over well, and Quill writes a nice review, is, is really all that can be said about summer theater. Um, mm-hmm. he, he does say some interesting things, I think, about writing a review for a small, for a small community theater. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to nitpick but you also don't want to over flatter the performers in such a way that they think that they should quit their jobs and move to New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so the next day, Quill goes to Safe Harbor and it's a lovely time. Um, the ladies are thrilled to meet their Mr. Q and Mrs. Hawley's mother in law presents Quill with his sampler, which features words from Quill's own cat column. <laughs> Quill is actually very touched and really impressed by the work. But on his way out, he stopped by one of the caretakers and asked, and to speak with someone waiting in the office. It's Mrs. Holly, Doris Holly, because apparently she and her husband have been under a gag order from the State Bureau of Investigation, which is why she hasn't been selling her home goods or being at home to visitors. Um, Quill thinks this is ridiculous. He tells her to start baking again. And if anyone has issues with it, they can call him. It's a bit high-handed, but it does seem to help <laughs> Mrs. Holly. Um, Don't you know who I am? <laughs> Don't they know how much money I have? <laughs> also true. Um, I own this town. He does. He um, does. Yeah, you're, yeah, no, you're yeah, right. He does. Yeah. <laughs> so he thanks the caretaker whose name is Janelle Roop. Um, she's a volunteer canary. This is, canary is a thing that we've seen before. Um, if, where if they work for any of the senior centers, um, if they have some training, they're considered canaries. Um, and she's also a healthcare student at M- at uh, MCCC. So thanks, Janelle. Heads home, and he kind of ponders on Coco's insistence that he visit Safe, Har- Safe Harbor and wonders how Coco knew that Mrs. Holly would need to speak for him then. But Coco's ways are strange and unknowable. Yes. Yow. <laughs> so the next day, Quill catches Derek on his break between the restaurant and the show, and he chats with Liz. Um, Ernie, the chef, was in buying skewers and asked Liz to do a room reading for her 
which was so negative that Liz fudged the meanings. Have you ever had something like that happen, Meg? So I, I mean, I don't tend to like ask, but I mean, for, for example, a friend of mine put an offer in on a house and she was like, put good energy toward it. And as soon as she showed me the picture of it, it was this instant, I know you're not getting it, but that's not, she, you know, it's not my job <laughs> to that's tell her. <laughs> so I was just kind of like, we'll just leave it. But I, I mean, generally, you know, things only come up negatively if you're looking to force an outcome. Um, in which case, you know, you got to be careful if you're trying to force an outcome anyway. So that is all true. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Yeah. So Derek himself has nothing but good things to say about Ernie, who is a workaholic and an artist with food. But Owen, however, is noted to have alcohol on his breath when Eric Derek reports for work at 1030 in the morning Ooh. before Owen heads off to quote unquote fish. Um, touch, touch early for the hair of the dog there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, apparently Ernie goes with Owen on Mondays when the restroom is closed and Derek thinks that she's worried about his drinking after seeing her make two mistakes over the weekend. Um, apparently she didn't make any mistakes before that. After that, Derek's off to the theater. Quill heads home where he is surprised by a visit from our favorite photographer, Bushy. Uh, Bushy has finally sent for the trick lens he mentioned in a previous book to photograph the cats without their knowledge. <laughs> um, still trying. Still trying. I admire Bushy's persistence. <laughs> exactly. But he also invites Quill out on his new boat, despite their nearly dying on the last boat trip he invited him on, um, to Three Tree Island and the cat who went underground. Uh, this was uh, this was a terrible book a couple of years, uh, couple of years ago. Uh, uh-huh. Not a terrible book. It was a great book, actually. But um a lot a of bad ex- things a terrible experience a terrible absolutely. experience for quill yes the book itself yeah. was good but it was a terrible uh experience well yeah heard. because he was out with you know they, he went out with bushy and roger mcgilvery and roger mcgilvery got pneumonia and was yep. in the hospital for almost a week yep mm-hmm. um, yeah that was fun was was not good but apparently quill can be bribed to do just about anything with pasties and they make plans to go out the <laughs> next day um it's and tasty pasties so hey i, I wouldn't and, i wouldn't say no yeah yeah <laughs> No, um, another nod to the cat who went underground. A mysterious woman is seen trudging along the beach. Hmm. So the next morning, Quill goes out for breakfast, meets Arch, who, having already eaten, eaten Mildred's breakfast, smugly yeah. says he'll just have a cup of coffee. Now, to be fair to him, it pays to be married to the food writer. <laughs> um, unfortunately, they learn that the major regatta planned for the day, which was supposed to be out on breakfast slash Grand Island, has been called off due to a drowning the day before. Hmm. Um, in the coffee shop, Quill spots the strange woman from the beach, interrupts her to ask a few questions to see if she might be from the State Bureau of Investigations, but reports to Arch that her accent is more mainline than Bureau. I had to look this up because mainline is apparently old money Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. I, we Yes, I remember you had a conversation with this with your mother. Yes, my mother being from uh, Connecticut, I wondered if that was the kind of description that she might have heard before. Yeah. Uh, but she had not. So. Oh, okay. I think this is it, this is a distinctive thing that maybe if you're doing a lot of radio, looking for a mainline accent is something that might be desirable. I don't know. Well, as soon as you said like where it was from, my first thought instantly was Catherine Hepburn. Mm-hmm. Just you know, clearly in Philadelphia, you know, yeah. very that very kind of clipped upper crust, not quite English, but still very professional and posh. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then and then especially the mix. Yeah. Anyway. Oh yeah. Um. So this 
crazy this mysterious lady is she's not crazy um she's not a guest at the hotel but there's a difference yes she's not a guest at the hotel but she's been eating every day at the coffee shop according according to the hostess Hmm. now as quill and arch leave they run into liz hart who's on her way back to the island because she knew the drowning victim and despite his being a strong swimmer they didn't get him out of the water fast enough and he died from hypothermia oh having later rises what was that the body count rises. <laughs> yes, but in this particular case, not anything important. Yeah. Um, you know, this this is like two chapters worth of reading that I ha- that I can condense into a paragraph. Huh. It's it's just it ends up not being that important to the story. Um, yeah. but it happens. Interesting. I felt bamboozled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt a little bamboozled after doing all that work. Um, yeah, yeah. Bamboozled again. So yeah. then uh, Quill still goes out on Bushy's boat that same day, which this boat is also named the Viewfinder, which was what his first book boat was named. I felt like this should have been the Viewfinder too. Um, they do make it back to the harbor in one piece. What was that, Meg? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very bad luck to name a boat after like the same boat. Like you're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, that's what I thought. There's no yeah. Titanic running around for a reason or Costa, yeah, exactly. Con- or Costa Concordia. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, at, at least if the, enter- um, I'm th- you know, name it two or put an A after it. That's what they do for the Enterprise in Star Trek. Yeah. 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 So despite all that, um, Quill and Bushy do make it back to the harbor in one piece, but they saw, spot something strange while they were going by the lighthouse out of the uh, out of Breakfast Island. A cabin cruiser, the Suncatcher, which we later learn is registered to Owen Bowen, and Ooh. a speedboat named the Fast Bama, who are, have been lashed together. <laughs> now, the names may be clues because Bushy definitely thinks there's some hanky-panky going on. Um, the cabin cruiser, a cruiser has a fishing line with a bite, but no one inside to reel it in. And the speedboat has no registration tag, which starts Quill's mustache t- uh, twitching because it's, this is giving him flashbacks to the mini K from the cat who played bronze. This was the very first summer that Quill ever spent in Mooseville. He went mm-hmm. out on a, on a boat with, that wasn't registered. Um, and it was, we're pretty sure that he hauled up a dead body and then had the line clipped. Yep. Um, <laughs> so much fun there. Did we not learn? <laughs> well, I mean, at least he's not on the unregistered boat. That's true. Time. That's true. Yeah. No, though, just don't go out to water, Quill. Just don't. Yeah, 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 I really gotta say. Don't go water skiing. Don't even go near a lake or anything. Yeah. Just... So they're, they anchor back near the Grand Island Club, and Bushy tells Quill about his ancestors. Um, Bushy, despite living in Lockmaster for quite a long time, is actually from Fishport, and um, his ancestors' boat, the famous Jenny Lee, disappeared in full view of 30 other boats, <laughs> and it was blamed on the visitors, which is the local term for aliens. Oh, yes. There's even a folk song about this. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote down in my notes. Um, now, it should be pointed out, Bushy's actually had a personal encounter with the visitors as well. Quill is still skeptical, but he's in the middle of the lake, so he's not going to discount the story until he's safely back on land. <laughs> Solid advice. I have to agree. Now, moving on from this, there is a point to Quill reading Far From the Matting Crowd um, because he reaches out to Barbara and Alice Ogilvie, related to Mitch, who apparently invested in Angora of Goats, because they are uh, knitters and spinners. And if you have uh, Angora goats, they make mohair fiber, oh. um, whereas Angora rabbits make Angora fiber. And, they, uh, and so they, they're, they're able to spin this and sell this as yarn. So Quill goes to see what spinning and knitting is all about. Um, he briefly considers gifting Arch with yarn spun for the cat's fur, but abandons the idea when he finds out he need, he'll need pounds of it to make a ball oh, of yarn. Yeah. Um, also, by the way, what I have learned um, is particularly from cat's fur is not as bad, but from dog fur, particularly, if you make yarn from dog fur, 
it smells of wet dog if the item uh, gets wet. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. I don't assume that item spun from cat fur does much better. Yeah. So it may sound like a cute idea. Don't make yarn from your pets. <laughs> it's just not going to be great. Nobody um, needs you've learned, that for Christmas, okay? All right. If you've learned nothing else from this podcast, don't make <laughs> yarn from your pets. If you learn nothing else. There you go. Um, so this, as I mentioned, is the correction is the connection to far from the matting crowd because sheep herding apparently hasn't changed much in several hundred years. Um, they still uh, they 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 still use dogs. They still use the cry of Ovi Ovi, um, based on the Latin term for sheep. Um, mm-hmm. And after all of that, then we meet the daughter. Um, we meet Alice, who's the mother, and then we meet Barb, her daughter, uh, who hates Barbara and says that she wants to be known as Barb. Sure, fine, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Barb, by the way, is in general noted more for her long blonde hair and sultry eyes than for her exceptional knitting talent. Um, based on her turnaround time for a couple of items that she does in this book, I mean, that's impressive knitting. I thought so too. I yeah. thought so too. Yeah. So she's back in Moose County after moving to Florida with a gal pal and getting involved with a guy only find out he was married. Quill, once again, is easy to talk to, so he gets this whole story. Um, but let's also look at who else has maybe come from Florida and what the connection might be there. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. <laughs> um, Quill's Monday breakfast at the Northern Light Hotel once again brings drama because on that Monday, Owen Bowen has fallen overboard and disappeared while Ernie was napping and she had to radio for help. She's brought back to the shore, but there's no sign of Owen. Apparently he was drinking heavily and Ernie thinks he might've fallen overboard when awake from another boat rock bears. But Quill's mustache says that's not the case at all. No. That's fair. That's, <laughs> Thank no. you, Jamie. That's not the case at all. <laughs> it, it should be mentioned that Luke is totally doing the, um, the, the, the Jamie's mustache for Mythbusters. <laughs> <laughs> so before Quill can work on this too much, he gets invited to dinner with Arch and Mildred, who've also invited Roger McGilfrey and Lisa Compton, their respective mm, partners. Wonderful. Yes, their respective, partner, their respective partners uh, being otherwise occupied. We haven't seen them for a while. So, yeah, so we, haven't nice. seen, we haven't heard from Lisa in a bit. It's nice. That's wonderful. Um, we like Lisa. Roger tells the story of the sand giant who has been known to get revenge on greedy developers. Um, first, when a lumber <laughs> magnet planned to build houses on top of the dune, the sand giant released a sand slide that buried the lumber camp. And another time during the Great Depression, someone tried to mine the sand to ship down below. And they tapped a, pat- a pocket of hydrogen sulfide, which made the whole town sick for a week. This is more like Dune than you really okay, expect. Uh- <laughs> some of those plots. Anyway, once the Dune is left alone, <laughs> nothing more happens except the occasional rumbling. Not a sandworm at all. Not, not a sandworm no, in this no, case. No, no. <laughs> anyway, the next day, Quill calls on Mrs. Holly to see if she's back to baking, and she is, and she's got cinnamon rolls. Um, Quill brings a fruit basket as a gift and receives gossip in return. So the mysterious woman that Quill saw on the beach was the mysterious hiker's partner. She's mm. been to see the Hollies, and according to Doris, seemed like a nice lady. Um, she was mostly just trying to talk to the last people who saw her partner alive. Um, other than that, she plays no role in the story whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it's a MacGuffin. It really is. Um, back in town. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Bit of a red herring with that. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, why is she yeah. here? I, I mean, okay. Now I can kind of understand it. it. If you died, I'd want to see the people who left you last alive. Okay. No. Yeah. But okay. Fair point. Fair but point. Would you want a novelist to talk about it? <laughs> Not if it didn't have anything to do with the plot. <laughs> exactly. Nope. Exactly. <laughs> so back in town, Quill's running some errands um, and he's pulled aside by the uh, drugstore owner. They actually do refer to this person as a druggist, which I think is hilarious, um, who confines that Owen Bowen was a good customer for liquor, but always in pints. 
Hmm. Um, we've seen pints before being a thing. Um, that was when they would stick them in the turkeys to get shipped down below or shipped into the prison. Um, <laughs> so possible nefarious goings on there. Uh-huh. Um, the general consensus is that Ernie is better off without quote unquote, that horse's tail, which is what everyone's calling Owen Bowen. I have no idea why that's the thing. Um, and kinder Quill's, to say that than horse's ass. Maybe? I guess so, because Quill's mustache starts twitching because Coco has shown an unusual interest in a Mark Twain story entitled The Horse's, the horse's Tail. tail. <laughs> <laughs> that is a stretch. That is a... That, that, that is not as much as a stretch as last week's. Okay, fine. Yeah, true, true. Last week's was, it was... I can't even remember what it was, up to, but I remember it's like, well, I hope you didn't strain yourself. <laughs> yeah, there were some pretty bad leaps in last week. You week's need some episode. icy hot for that stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, okay, this one at least, you know, horse's tail, horse's ass. It's, you got it. Sure, it's it still is a stretch. It's still, yeah. still is a pretty good stretch. Now, however, Owen's place after this untimely death is going to be opening up as quickly as possible. Turns out Ernie needs money and she can't sell Owen's boat fast enough. Um, but in the meantime... Quill has a surprise guest. Joe Bunker, whether it be good, put uh, Quill in contact with his cousin Test, who is a corvidologist to write a crow-based musical for TV. And she's showed up randomly to work on it. Moira uh, Rose is there too. It's it's just a delight. <laughs> I could only wish. Um, so interestingly, Coco does not mind this visitor. Oh, who also Catherine O'Hara would be Polly if there was a uh, movie adaptation of this. I know. We'll talk about that later. Talk about that. I want to, I want to talk about this at the end. Um, anyway. Um, so Coco doesn't mind the visitor because she also enjoys Christopher Smart's writing on cats. Um, but seems to be rather attached to yanking two of Polly's postcards out of the display that Quill put up the postcard featuring, uh, GB Shaw and the postcard featuring Oscar Wilde. Although what the connection is to anything in Moose County, Quill still hasn't figured out. Um, he's also knocking down the skewers that Quill bought from Liz's shop. Just to explain something about the skewers here. So Owen's place has a thing called skewered potatoes. Apparently, if you cook a potato on a skewer, it is uh, more flavorful, flakier, has more nutrients. Um, and then you're able to do all sorts of crazy things with it at table side, which is what they do in the very fancy restaurant. Um, the skewers are handmade by the same person who made Quill sailboat. Okay. And so that's a nice local connection. Um, but in the interest of just supporting local art, Quill buys a set of these skewers and has them hung on the wall at the cabin. Coco has been knocking them down as we've been doing this. So George Bernard Shaw, Mark Twain, Oscar, Oscar Wilde, and skewers. and skewers. And skewers. Mark Twain has nothing to do with this book. That's the next book. Um, but uh, G.B. Shaw and Oscar Wilde do have something to do with this book. Okay. All right. So Tess has come. She's making herself at home. <laughs> Quill, sorry. Luke is, is, is tapping his nose like something is something is up. I'm trying to put, put it all together and see if I can. <laughs> yeah. Is your mustache this, twitching, Luke? <laughs> the mustache is twitching. Uh, that's a man of no importance and <laughs> the importance of being earnest. Anyway. I don't know. Back to what I was saying. Um, so Tess is making herself at home and while Quill frantically fr- tries to find a way out of this crazy crow project, which, you know, seems like a good idea, but there's not enough basis for him to actually do anything. Um, they do brainstorm some fun ideas, but it turns out that Tess is also a great cook, which ingratiates her to Quill forever, thanks to macaroni and cheese and thimbleberry pancakes. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell yeah. Um, oh, the recipe for good. thimbleberry pancakes is in the, in the Cat Who Cookbook, I would just like to say. Oh, 
Well, you know um, what we're doing for breakfast. Yeah. Um, Quill then has to fill in for Weatherby to announce uh, the annual Mooseville dog cart races, um, one of which is won by a retired drug search dog. Now, this dog is a passive searcher, which means they sit down when they find something. Quill idly asks if the dog can go over the sun catcher, which is Owen's boat. Um, in the sleeping cabin, the dog's going through everything and then sits down. But his owner claims this is because he's tired from the races. Quill's mustache? Not so sure. Um, apparently the dog owners, but the dog's owner wasn't to totally sure either because the next morning Quill sees a state trooper going over the sun catcher. Mm -hmm. Has oh. Owen been running drugs in addition to getting drunk on the boat every day? Ooh. They go together. Yeah. <laughs> like Ramble, anyway, okay. You did it. I was, I was this close, this close like to doing it. it. Later that day, this comedy of errors occurs. So Quill is scheduled to pick up Polly the next day from the airport. So Tess prepares one last dinner. While waiting for the mac and cheese to come out of the oven, they are visited by Janelle Roop from Safe Harbors. Her parents own the framing store that framed Quill's sampler, so she's dropping it by. Quill offers her some sangria, and she and Tess chat on the porch. Then they're visited by Barb Ogilvie with the vest that Quill had commissioned for Polly, who also accepts a glass of sangria, and three women are happily chatting on the porch when who should appear a day early but Polly. <laughs> this gets worse when Polly claims to have flown in on her broomstick. Oh. Oh, Polly says that? Polly says this. This is how she describes herself. <laughs> it's like, really, dear? <laughs> so, all four ladies are now gathered out on the porch as the mac and cheese comes out of the oven. Oh, geez. And Quill gets a call because it's Joe. Uh, bunker because Tess is supposed to be at a family reunion in horseradish right then. Tess panics, packs, leaves. Then Janelle leaves because it looks like rain. Polly leaves to go feed the cats. And finally, finally, Barb <laughs> leaves um, despite looking very troubled. And then a storm hits, keeping Quill busy mopping up leaks while behind his back, the cats devour the mac and cheese, studiously avoiding the macaroni, of course. <laughs> Just looking the, licking the, the, the noodles dry of any cheese. Mm -hmm. I have to say the cats are very talented at this because this is also how they describe the cats eating all of the chocolate out of the chocolate whoppers in The Cat Who Moved a Mountain. And having made the chocolate whoppers, considering that there's no way they're, there's no way they're eating like they're just taking the- they're, They have to be eating the cookie and the chocolate um, and then just leaving the walnuts. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're leaving the walnuts, not yeah, the they, chocolate. No, they left the walnuts. They okay, the you chocolate. said chocolate originally. Sorry. And I was going to say that in a double chocolate cookie, that's damned impressive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Sorry. They left the walnuts behind. That still would take effort. It's it's very talented cats. I don't know. Mind, the cats are solving murders. So like getting... <laughs> and the cats have been doing this for 40 years. Yeah, that's the thing. The cats have been around for 40 years and they've been solving yeah. murders, but licking the macaroni and cheese dry uh, and leaving the noodles, I mean, that we... That's where the reality breaks. There, there is a fundamental important thing about cats that you must remember. Cats, despite how much I love them, are fundamentally assholes. <laughs> it's true. If I haven't had do cats something like that you will tell them not to, and they will totally be like, you mean not this? Bitch. Yeah. And yeah. then push. <laughs> and then I will watch you as I do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> So cats are impressive assholes. They, they are. They are very intelligent. That's why they're dangerous because mm -hmm. they like they know what they're doing. And like for example, I have an automatic feeder 
because my cats don't adhere to daylight savings time. <laughs> and that's just not cool. And so Hilo, my big orange cat, um, he has this like Ocean's Eleven like game where he tries to crack into the feeder and open <laughs> it up. And it's the same thing, but he knows I will stand up, I will get out of bed at two in the morning and I will point at him and say, no. And then I will go back to bed and about half an hour later, I will hear him trying to break <laughs> into the safe with the food. It's just... It's an interesting nice. game that we play. Yeah. Putting together a team for a heist and so That's far right. is, is just- Do we need one that. more? Let's get one Only more. One, there's <laughs> a team of two. It's, it's not. <laughs> all right. So after all of this shenanigans, um, Quill was supposed to leave for pickaxe on Monday when Polly came home. But um, this rain that's, and the storm that we mentioned um, is knocking out power and road access throughout the entire county. Uh, Quill does brave a trip to Mooseville, where he interrupts Derek working on the new addition to Elizabeth's Magic, a lending library. So we were told previously, but Liz kept the nature of the store a secret from Quill, because it's going to be a lending library of her father's historic collection of books on UFOs. Um, Quill is skeptical still, but um, he leaves with the new menu for Owen's Place and all is well. Um, Arch and Mildred are also stuck inside, but Mildred's a far better cook, so Quill accepts an invitation to dinner for gumbo and strawberry cream pie. It's not their best dinner. Arch is in rare pissed-off form, and Mildred has read the runes that Quill gave her as a gift, which predict disaster. Um, Back at home, Quill realizes he never actually read any of Polly's postcards, um, and he's starting to look through them to see why Coco might be so focused on them. Um, There are mentions of Major Barbara, Barb Ogilvy, and the importance of being earnest. I was right on one. Ernestine. Yes. I was right on one. Which gets Quill's mustache tingling. Is there a connection between Barb Ogilvy and Ernestine Bowen? Was Owen the married man she left behind when she returned to Moose County? Yeah. And Man of No Importance is not a George Bernard Shaw play. I looked it up. Sorry. I was thinking of... <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Superman. Uh, man and Snow. Is it Man and Superman? Let me look at it. Sorry. Mentioned Superman? What? Anyway, Superman. There's a George Bernard Shaw play that is called Man and Superman is what man I was and thinking. Superman, yeah. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Not a man, man of no importance and a man for all seasons, both of which are not George Bernard Shaw plays, but uh, <laughs> importance of being earnest is an Oscar Wilde play. I yes, got it half is. of it right. You got that. Boom. There you go. 50% F. There you go. 10 points to Luke. <laughs> I mean, on some, on some categories, it could be a C minus. I'll take a C minus. <laughs> C's get degrees. Points to Gryffindor. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. So the next morning, the rain has finally stopped. The sun is shining and Quill's and Owen's place is reopened. Quill, however, heads to the nasty pasty for his lunch and notes that there is no sign of Mildred's predicted disaster. Ooh. He's visiting Elizabeth, Elizabeth's magic when Barb Ogilvy comes in. Um, Derek is working and refers to her as bad news Barb. Um <laughs> He also gives us a little bit of history because apparently he thinks Barb has been jilted again because she has a taste for older men because apparently back in high school, she used to come on to the science teacher and the principal. Something is very wrong with that. I know, Um, right? So Quill is chatting with her about uh, a possible men's knit vest um, after already commissioning a uh, custom vest for Polly. um, And suddenly the store is shaken by a terrible boom. When we look outside, there's a huge cloud of sand coming up from the direction of the dune. When Quill checks with the emergency vehicles, we learn there is a huge sinkhole behind Owen's place that has swallowed several cars. Muadib. 
And as he watches, part of the Great Dune collapses again, swallowing the rear of the restaurant and likely Ernestine as well. Oh, no. Now, fortunately, the restaurant was closed, but Ernie was in her camper in the back parking lot, which has now been doubly swallowed by the sinkhole and the sand avalanche. Oh, God. Understandably, yeah. yeah. Understandably, Quill and Polly postponed their dinner date there. Mm. I... I would say so. Conditions might be sandy and sunk. That's... <laughs> so Quill is stuck in downtown Mooseville for a bit until the roads open up. And then he heads back to the cabin where he attempts to pack to move back to pickaxe. Um, but he's interrupted by so many phone calls and he ends up postponing his return. Plus, Polly has a library emergency and Junior needs a filler for a blank spot in the something and the mystery still isn't solved. Later, he visits Elizabeth Magic again, where he chats with Liz about the opening of her UFO library and listens to her complaints about Derek's most recent groupies, Barb and Ernie. Um, Quill isn't particularly sympathetic about this, telling her, her man has a magnetic personality. Devoted females will always be hanging around the stage door. You'll just have to get used to it. Might <laughs> take a moment. advice, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do not know that there's a way to auditorily convey the immensity of my eye roll on this phrase. Um, but I think you may be getting the clue from the tone of my voice. I, yeah. I can see it. It's quite, it's quite epic. Yeah. It is. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, on the way out, he runs into Barb, who insists that she needs to speak with him privately. He's the only one, quote unquote, cool enough to understand. So he suggests that if they need privacy, she should give him a tour of the Ogilvy petroglyphs, um, only briefly mentioned before, used to be open to the public, but when people started chipping pieces off the Ogilvy's, closed them off, as one should. Yep. Um, so Quill drives out to the Ogilvy farm again, and Barb confesses that Owen was indeed the married man she'd been seeing. She came home when she realized that he and Ernie weren't brother and sister like he'd led her to believe. Ouch. Oh, gross. Ouch. Wow. All Ooh, right. That's quite, quite the, that's quite the marriage. Um she stayed away from the restaurant, actually got threatened away from the restaurant. Um, there's a description of her being threatened by the other waitresses mm. um, if she doesn't quit. You don't um, want so to mess with the waitresses, man. Yeah, not when they team up on you. No. It's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> so she stayed uh, away from the restaurant when she realized that they'd moved to Mooseville, but after Owen died, apparently Ernie got a hold of Barb and asked her to come to dinner at the hotel. Long story, very, very short. Ernie has figured out that Owen had a commission from a Florida drug ring to open up a branch in Mooseville, which is why the Suncatcher was lashed to the Fash Mama when Quill and Bushy motored by. Owen told her to keep her eyes and mouth shut or she'd be a dead chef. But on the next mo- Monday, Ernie decides to kill or be killed and shoves a skewer through Owen's ear before rolling him overboard, sopping up the blood with towels and throwing that ev- evidence overboard. Oh, God. She yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> This is a woman who handles her own shit. We took that got dark quick. Yeah. <laughs> and she's confessing this to somebody. Right. To the woman her husband used to have an affair with. Yeah. <laughs> um, she also tells Barb that Ernie, and she, Ernie also tells Barb that she moved the boat a mile or so, then called for help so that mm. they were never going to find Owen's body. Um, why she felt the need to, fill the, to tell Barb this? Probably the same reason that Barb felt the need to tell Quill. That is far too big a secret to keep. Um, he manages to convince Barb to tell the sheriff's department she went to high school with someone on the force. Um, it's so convenient. Well, you figure small town. Small town. It, I know. it makes small sense. Town. Everyone knows um, everybody. Yes. Oh, speaking Fun. of cats. Oh, kitty. Hello, <laughs> baby. With a secondary side note, the first time I ever got pulled over in Bend, um, I was like 16, just had my driver's license. They gave, let me off of the warning and told me to say hi to my dad, who was a public defender oh. in the town and had been for 30 years. That's a fun flex. Yep. 
So I, I totally understand knowing someone on the sheriff's department. Um, at this point, Quill heads home, feeling like the case is finally closed. Coco, resting contentedly with all the skewers on their peg, agrees, at least on that point. Uh, but before Quill can depart, a strange incident occurs that scares him enough to be up and packed before the cats even demand their breakfast. Mm. Um, he's back in pickaxe by lunch with only a note in his journal to confirm that this really did happen. And here's what the note says. Around 2.45, the sky turned green and there was a strong gust of wind sending Coco to Quill's lap. A large round disc appeared over the lake, throwing shafts of light on the beach. Coco slips out the broken screen door and heads down the beach toward the disc. A door is open and beings are emerging. Beings with four legs and long tails. Quill follows Coco and tackles him, seeing stars before he blacks out. And when he wakes up, he's back in the lounge chair with Coco on his chest. And both of them are covered in sand. Dun, dun, dun! And that's where it ends. And that's where it ends? That's where it ends. Oh, no! Oh, come on! So hopefully that makes a believer out of Quill after this. I doubt it, but, you know. Probably not. He's, we'll he's very much the Agent Scully of this x I was just going to say, yeah, he's there's <laughs> evidence of this and it's right in their face, but no, I'm still a skeptic. Yeah. Somebody's got to explain. Yeah. Somebody's got to be. Wow. Yeah. All right. So I have lots of notes on this one. Um, the story itself is very filler, but there are some interesting things. Um, <clears throat> there is a story that's run when Quill, basically it's Quill's story about uh, it, his interview with the Hollies. Um, it's run with written dialect of how the husband and wife speech speak. Um, and in response to this, an English teacher in Sawdust City calls something to complain about it and suggests that they do something useful like educating the public on proper grammar rather than wasting so much time on sports. <laughs> and thus, Mrs. Grandma is born. Uh. This is a tongue-in-cheek column written anonymously, and of course it's by Quill. This is a big reveal somewhere at the end of the book. It, it really, from the first time you read Mrs. Mrs. Grandma's uh, column as it's printed in the in in the something you know it's quill yeah nobody there, else there's, there's a certain amount of snark that was very familiar yeah. exactly and nobody else has their tongue quite that firmly in their cheek um, <laughs> so this is uh so this is a column that they've now started to handle common grammatical mistakes and questions um but apparently there's nothing that can be done about another complaint which came in which called the article sexist after the wife was quoted as speaking better than her husband mm. nothing can be done about that as Quill mm-hmm. defends the whole thing, that's how they speak. That's yeah. just how they speak. Personal annoyance. So this ginger snap thing that we have at the beginning, um, this ginger snap recipe, not in the Cat Who Cookbook. I was going to ask because they sounded so good. I was like, Suze, you got to make those. <laughs> I went looking for it. The minute I read about them, I'm like, oh yeah, her ginger snaps. That that's sounds so, great. That's so weird that they're not in there because there's a recipe for a freaking Bloody Mary in there. But, yeah, not, but not the damn ginger snaps. Anyway. Yeah. And it is the most basic Bloody Mary recipe you could ever ask yeah. for. It says mm. my, uh, my beloved bartender. Um, well, I like getting, and it's also like, oh, well, like, okay, so Bloody Mary mix, vodka, salt, pepper, horseradish. That's it. It's like, oh, that wow. is the most simple basic you can get. Yeah. Um, it's not very tasty. Okay. Yep. Continuing, we also learn a, a little bit more about Quill's mother, who we're starting to get oh. more of an impression of. Um, Quill notes that he wrote a lot of thank you notes um, to his mother's friends in his youth um, because her words are this, Jamie, we accept gifts in the spirit in which they are given. Other advice includes keep your eye upon the donut and not upon the hole, which is apparently responsible for Quill's donut addiction. (laughs) 
I like that piece of advice, though. It yeah. is. It's both actually pieces of advice are very good. Um, a side story that I absolutely love. There's an antique store in Mooseville now, and Quill wanders in to decorate the cabin, and we meet the shop dog, whose name is Freddie, spelled P-H-R-E-D-D-I-E, um, which is so named because they found a dog dish in a collection of antique china, and they named the dog to match the dish. Yeah. <laughs> It's adorable. It's too cute. Yeah, It really is. And it's also commented that Freddie has better manners than Owen Bowen, especially <laughs> after the store loans Owen's place a display and the owner doesn't even send a thank you, much less give him any credit. Mm. Um, so that um, member of the sheriff's team department that uh, Barb says she knows that she can go talk to um, when she needs to, when Quill is encouraging her to report the crime. Um, this is Deputy Greenleaf, who is the first female sheriff's de- deputy in Moose County, oh. which is impressive. Um, we do not, however, on, upon being introduced to Deputy Greenleaf, we do not need Quill's thoughts on her looks as opposed to her effectiveness as her job. Yeah. Go yeah. so jump off a cliff, dear. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned the summer theater um, being called the Friars Club, spelled F-R-Y-E-R. I, can't, I can't with that. It's so punny. <laughs> it's so punny. It gets worse because the whole thing takes place in a retired dairy barn on a farm that's been converted to poultry. Um but in the learn something every day category, we learned that a fryer is a young chicken, not an egg that gets fried. <laughs> um, it should be pointed out that apparently this un- misunderstanding absolutely kills in poultry comedy circles. I did not know there were poultry comedy circles, but apparently it's a thing. I'm going to the wrong comedy clubs, you guys. <laughs> I know, right? Two drink minimum, it's two egg minimum. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're doing Brandy Alexander's where you have to do the egg on top. Oh, or an egg cream. Oh, yeah. Who knows? Ooh, yeah. Like egg cream. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So Polly, Polly, we don't hear much about because once again, she's out of town for the summer. Um, and Quill has apparently harassed, harassed her about her lack of communication enough that now she's gone for overkill. Um, she's gone for like three weeks and she sends him almost six postcards a week. <laughs> and then this is actually very cute. When she returns, she gives Quill a vest of the Macintosh tartan mm. and he gives her a vest that was hand and designed by Barb Ogilvy. And then he comments, now they have a vested interest in each other. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's cute. <laughs> so cute. Yeah. So we mentioned briefly Mark Twain mm-hmm. with a connection between Owen and the horse's tail. Um, Quill has been reading Mark Twain the past few books and he's all in for this, um, especially when he finds out that uh, Mark Twain toured Moose County and made quite the impression, according to Lisa Compton's grandmother's diary. Interesting. Um, <laughs> It's also pointed out that according to Grandma Compton, strange lights were being observed over the lake as early as 1900. While he's still not sure about the visitors, Quill manages to convince Hixie and Fran that the next thing that something should host is a Mark Twain festival. Oh, That's fun for the next book. That would be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, one other kind of silly thing that I noticed, the retirement communities are themed. <laughs> because we have, in Wildcat, we have the railroad retirement. Now we have Safe Harbor in Fishport. Um, and this is on top of the general one called Itty Bitty Wassie Estates, where Gil McMurchie and now the Cavendish sisters have all gone to live. Um, interesting fact, Gil didn't want to take his dog, which Quill then gave to uh, Mitch Ogilvy and Christy Fugtree. Um, mm-hmm. That's a terrible name. It is. Yeah, that's why she's getting married and she's going to be Christy Ogilvy as soon as possible. Yes, no, exactly. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge step up. It is. But here's the thing. The Cavendish sisters from a previous book have two cats named Pinky and Quinky. Um, so for, short for propinquity and equanimity, um, yep. which one of which Quill rescued from behind the dryer at one point when they lived in Indian Village. So they're taking their cats. Mm. So I don't know if pets are the issue or dogs are the issue. 
mm-hmm. at Itty Bitty Wasia Estates. Either way, um, McMurchie and the Cavendish sisters are there. Um, <laughs> could I ask you to do a dramatic reading, my love? Of course. All right. So we heard a little bit about the folk song of the Jenny Lee. Um, for, based on uh, based on Bushy's ancestors, and I have a little bit of the uh, of the chorus. So I am asking uh, my darling husband if he would be kind enough to read this for us dramatically. Dramatically, all right. Oh, the waves will pound and the wind will blow, and folks on this planet will never know the honest fate of the Jenny Lee and her never forgotten crew of three. Ooh. Shivers, shivers, shivers of the spine. Got chills. Um, yeah. So, you know, it makes sense to write a folk song about a boat that literally disappeared in, the, in full view of 30 other vessels. Just sit right here and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a trip. The Jenny Lee. Oh, the waves Lee will, will pound lost. and the winds will blow, and the folks on this planet will never know the honest fate of the Jenny Lee and her never forgotten crew of three. Oh, there you go. Common yeah. meter. Common meter. You can there, always do it. All right. So there, the summer camp I worked at that I've mentioned on the show, one of the things they would do for adult camp, it would be similar to the style of the four chord song by the Axes of Awesome. <laughs> they would do from every, basically every 60, the common meter, every 60 sh- so theme song would fit. So just sit right here and you hear a tale. The end of the Civil War was near and mm-hmm. it would just continue on like that. So you can do that. So yeah, it common meter. Totally. Yeah. Fits. Yeah. It'll be in my head now. All right. Anyway, moving on. Um, there is, for me, there is a hysterical scene where Quill attempts to hang something above the fireplace in the oh cabin, God. which yeah. leads to grand drama at the hardware store, um, where he purchases a hammer and appropriate nails and then decides to write a quill pen about nails because yeah. he thinks he can hammer out something decent. <laughs> Before we get on to the end of this, what are your thoughts about this crazy book, Meg? Yeah, I mean, crazy is definitely right because I feel like there was a lot of like all over the placeness about this book. Um, and, and, you know, like we already mentioned, there was like that whole like, okay, so now we're talking about this, you know, guy and like this drowning. Um, and and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, but that's not important. It was like, but you just, we were just reading all, okay, fine. We just fine. had this whole dramatic thing about Liz being so moved because she right. knew family and all of these things. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought I thought it was interesting. And I did. I, I, I always think, uh, especially in this one, I felt like there were so many elements that when we got to the end where it was like, oh, and it's this and it's because of drugs and it's because of that. It was like, all right, you could have just stayed with like the very simple like murder um, uh, adultery story you know, and, and I would have been happy with that, but we had to like, no, no, let's add, you know, all these things in. So yeah, let's add an accidental drowning and a death by a death by alien. Mysterious, yeah. Death by aliens. Mysterious yeah. Which, woman visitor too. Like, yeah. A, well, we, we at least where she was from. Yeah. Well, but, <laughs> but still that's but adding. It turns out to be nothing. So it's like, it was, it was a book of so many red herrings that I was like, okay <laughs> what was the point yeah yeah and then at the end with the whole alien thing i was kind of like well okay you know and they're like they're covered in sand you know i mean i do have to say that the way she wrote it yeah it's creepy yeah it is it's I, very I mean, creepy yeah it, as, it's as someone who grew up in the time of uh fire in the sky being like the ugh. yeah i know i still have nightmares no that, that like it's a movie that uh, having watched it not too long ago recently, like it's parts of it don't hold up well at all. Uh. I will tell you that abduction scene though holds up like 
it it could have been made today but it was yeah. so that scene still is like one of the scariest things i've ever it's seen in a movie haunting as all get out man it is just not you know yeah it's and well it plays in that sense of isolation and that sense of like i disorientation where am i and that growing fear so Oh, yeah. if it's anything like that, I don't want to read it. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it definitely is. It definitely has like those eerie undertones. I mean, oh, never yeah. mind the fact that the aliens are, you know, cat-like yes. creatures instead of humanoid, but still it's, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah, I, I, do, not, uh, I do not do open windows at night for that specific reason. I don't <laughs> want the aliens to take me out through the window, so. I don't think we're going to be doing the same thing at least for a while now ourselves. Yep. Yep. Aside from the fact that we're supposed to get snow this week. But anyway. <laughs> that, that aside. <laughs> awesome. So in this lovely book, we have cats being cats, of course. Coco mm-hmm. is studying constellations at night, commuting with the crows by day. I love that so much. There's, of course, he's got his telescope and his star charts. Exactly. There is a lovely moment when Yum Yum saves a hummingbird. Yeah. <laughs> um, the hummingbird has flown into the screen at the porch, and Yum Yum goes up with her paw, and she pushes it back out and saves Aww, the hummingbird. That is very sweet. Very cute. Um, <laughs> there is also a great line um, from Polly about uh, her new kitten, Kata. Um, when she returns from Canada, uh, Polly says that uh, Kata is too young to know that she's supposed to boycott me for 24 hours after an absence. <laughs> As a current cat owner, what would you say to that, Meg? Is that true? Yeah, cats don't. So anytime I go anywhere, um, my cats are very dog-like in their welcoming of me back. Aww. Um, especially Hilo, who is much more, you know, of that kind of, you know, he's very much like, I miss you. I need you. Please lay down because like, I can. I'm gonna sit on you now, and you're not moving. Yep. Yeah, Grace will be kind of like, oh, it's you again. Okay. Like. <laughs> Um, she's, she's got her own thing, but, you know, she'll, she'll come back, you know, on, on her own. So I think, I think it very much depends on the cat. But one thing that always happens whenever I leave for any period of time is when I'm unpacking, they will both lay on the bed as if to say, next time we go with you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, also in this particular book, uh, it should be mentioned that Quill on a, Wim being a kind person, he purchases something known as a calico kitten, cutely named with a K, um, mm-hmm. from Elizabeth's Magic. These are all uh, hand stitched by the uh, the widows and the um, by the widows uh, at Safe Harbor. Um, now he purchases this fully expecting the cats to ignore it, but in a moment of perverse adorableness, Yum Yum adopts the kitten. His name mm-hmm. is Gertrude, Aww. and her love for Gertrude finally allows Bushy to get the shot. The shot of Yum Yum. The picture of contented motherhood with her calico kitten. And he says, if this doesn't win a prize, there is no justice in the world. <laughs> and he has been trying to get this picture for so since many we, books. Since we met him. So, so many I, I can attest to that because cats have a knowledge. Like they know when the paparazzi is on them. Mm-hmm. I, I have so many times tried to catch pictures of, especially my, my little cat, my little cat, Grace. Um, and she's she's very much knows. So I'll so she'll be doing something cute, and I'll be like, "Oh, hold it, let me get the phone." And as soon as the phone is ready, she looks away, and I'm like, "Damn!" Yep. So they 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 have a sixth sense for many things. Yeah, and hence Bushy had to send away for that uh, trick lens so that he can focus on something else and take a picture to the side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, speaking of cats, uh, Meg, I know you. This is only your second book, but how would you compare this to the for, to the first one you read with us? So the first one I I read, the cat who went up a mountain. Um, mm-hmm. I I thought that the quirkiness of it and the um, the you know artist community and stuff of that book, I really did like uh, that. It was also a vacation story, mm-hmm. so it was really really pleasant. Um, this being a little more entrenched with the town, I still didn't feel um, lost talking about these people who he had known so well. So I appreciated that. Um, but like I said, there was so much where I was like, oh, and then this, and then this is a thing. And then we're going to spend all this time here and it doesn't mean anything. So I was kind of, I felt, I felt like I was being led in a very strange maze and I was kind of like, so the point, where's the center? <laughs> and then when I got to the center, there was drugs. And I was like, well, all right, I'll just throw that in there. It's great. It's great. Yeah. And the answer was drugs. Yeah. But I did, drug- I did like how um, I really did like Coco studying constellations and stuff like that um, because cats have that thing where, you know, Grace actually used to do it a long time ago before we got another cat in the house, but Grace used to stare at the corner and meow at the corner or stare down the hall and meow down the hall. And when you live by yourself, you're like, what do you see that I don't see? You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. there is, there is always that element. So I appreciate that that was explored. Interesting. Definitely. All right. Paul Wise, how many paws would you rate this? Um, uh, out of how many paws? Four. Four. Out of four paws, I would give this a solid two, two and a half, maybe. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Consistent with what? uh, Yeah. What your thoughts are? Yeah, I I gave it a solid two and a half. Um, because it is another filler story that doesn't give us quite enough time to really care about anybody except for Liz and Derek. I feel like I would be so much more moved by Ernie's death if we gotten to spend a little bit more time with her and the restaurant. And less time with Mildred in the 4th of July parade. Yes, yes. Much as I love Mildred and her 4th of July parade rants. Because they are fun. Um, The mystery is meandering. Once again, kind of feels shoehorned into a learn more about Mooseville story that Mm -hmm. Lillian Jackson Brown is working on. And it just just bothers me so much that she has never mentioned the Great Dune in any of our previous Mooseville adventures. And it just makes me wonder why she's brought it in now. Like I, I, I feel like that's really hard to believe because of how like, like central to all the story it was. Exactly. She talks about the lake. She talks about the talk of the top of the Dunes Club. She talks about um, the Northern Lights Hotel. Dune, the actual Dune, the Great Dune, never mentioned. Huh. That is very odd. Yeah. And and the fact that now there's this whole mythology with the sand dunes, gnomes, and giants, and whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. Sinkholes and whatnot. Yeah. Hmm. That yeah, is, it's it, is interesting. It, it's not one of her better books. Um, I I do like this, you know, and part of the reason I wanted you to read it particularly, as I said, is because of all of the, um, the supernatural, the intuitive elements, um, with the mm-hmm. with the tarot cards and the runes, and then of course aliens because fun. Um, I know. It struck me as something that could be, <laughs> that could be fun for you. It is. I always, I, I, I actually do get a kick out of like reading other people. Like it, it, it's kind of funny. Cause it's like it, when, when people don't know things medically and then you, they start talking about, or you read, you know, a story or watch a show about, wow, you really don't know what you're doing medically. Um, it's, 
it's funny to me to read people talking about the metaphysical when they don't know anything about it. So when she's doing runes and, and you know, it's, it's like, Oh, it's, it's saying bad things. It's not like we're tossing chicken bones here and like the omens, you know? So it's, it's not, <laughs> it's not being Alan Rickman and whatever her name is in Prince of Thieves where she's cutting yeah. blood and you know the son right. of a dead man returns you know <laughs> yes beware beware yeah yeah i'm just your cook here eat this you yeah, know it's is yeah. my favorite color blue <laughs> sorry that's star that's stardust if you haven't seen yeah with another tossing of the runes yes no it's it's my favorite magic eight ball thing where it's you know like ha outlook hazy yeah try again later um, I'm I'm a big fan of those things. Generally, when you're, you know, reading runes and asking for questions, it's an overall kind of thing, and and you won't necessarily get anything like beware of this or danger of that. You'll get things of like, you know, watch out for how this relates to, or you know, sure. this has the energy of change with it. So watch out for, you know, if you're feeling, you know, all of those things. So mm -hmm. if that makes sense, but yeah, yes. absolutely. But it was, it's, it's always fun to see that take on things, I think. Right. I'm always interested about, you know, the aliens and the, I, I like, cause I like the mystery vibe and where are we going? Oh, that's where we went. Come on. You know, <laughs> so sure. yes. I will say, if you get a chance to get it from the library, go look up the cat who said cheese. Oh, okay. Um, as a self-contained mystery, it's, I, I think it's by far the one of the best in the series. It's a very okay. entertaining one. Yeah, okay. that one and the fall and the book that followed it, the cat who tailed the thief. Those two back to back are just—they are excellent mysteries. They are well written. They're a lot of fun, um, and they're—they're just—you know—they're—they're they're just an example of how good she can be when she really wants to be. When you're on, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mooseville stories at this point feel like we're we're stretching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, then the next book we get into, um, a little bit more back in pickaxe. And so we're back on familiar ground and the stories are interesting. The story of the next one is, is, is very interesting, but this is kind of an outlier, but again, had to deal with so much things that I, so many things that I thought you'd find fun. I, I, did. As a new reader. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say that I join you in kind of being grumpy about there being no, um, ginger snap recipe. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Like to make our own ginger snap well, recipe. I think we have to now. We do. We'll yeah. have to test that out. We can we'll usually do that. Paw prints in the middle of them. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I'll get a paw print cookie cutter and we'll do that. Ooh, I like Excellent. that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Meg, thank you very much for joining us for this yes. for this episode again. Thank you for having me. You're it's welcome. Very lovely. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, fantastic. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I think it is. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast. Join us next time for The Cat Who Robbed a Bank. Oh, Coco, yum yum, turning to a life of crime. <laughs> oh, no. I'm Susan Romsdorf Terry. I'm Luke Romsdorf Terry, and we are joined by Meg Ralph. Yay! Yay! And until next time, happy sleuthing. And stay nosy, my friends. Yay!